Let us go to the Lord again in prayer. Our holy and righteous Heavenly Father, again we come to You in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanking You that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace and help in time of need. We have mentioned some already, our God, who are battling cancer and strokes, some that are in attendance, uh, not feeling well, and yet our times are in your hand. We thank you for your grace that is sufficient as we have just sung about and know that you do work in us and we do not understand how you're working in us and our working out how it all comes together. Nevertheless, thy word is truth. And we thank you, Father, that we believe and know that There are absolutes. There are truths. And the world is not a world of relativity. The prevailing ideologies of the the day is that there are no absolute truths. It's only what somebody believes. Even people will put a bunch of colors on a canvas. And when they're asked, what are they trying to portray? They say, whatever you want it to be. We even read or saw recently in the news where some supposed artist just hung a a blank, I believe it was a blank canvas on the wall. No colors, no nothing. 
It's amazing that society can become so deceived that people, some people would actually marvel at just a blank canvas. Typical a fallen man that does not know you has no fear of you before their eyes are willing to go about doing whatever they feel like doing. We've been there. Some of us have. I know I have. And yet, in your marvelous grace and mercy, you turn the heart of this hardened sinner. Oh, that you would make it more pliable and more uh, in line with you and your word. We long for the day, O oh God, when we shall have put down this sinful body and it'll be raised a sinless body. This dishonorable body will someday be honorable. This mortal will be immortal. We say those words, but to comprehend what it's all about is far beyond our wildest imagination. Even as thy word teaches, we know not what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope purifieth himself even as he is pure. And yet while we believe that, we see how far, far short we fall in that purification. But someday we shall be complete. We shall be satisfied. Fully content at the feet of the Lord Jesus. May that day come soon. And it is in His name we pray. Amen. We come back to... 1 John chapter 4, and last Lord's Day we spent quite a bit of time, well, both services, and we uh, will finish up with it this morning on uh, the the overcoming here in 1 John 4, 
In verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. But I want to point out that it didn't say that we ought to be overcomers. It didn't say that we should be overcomers. It says, we that are of God overcome. We do overcome. I was aiming to read this last Lord's Day, but uh, didn't think about it till after we closed the service. But there's a song here in our book in the old school hymnal that really uh, expresses this whole uh, concept. Song 150 called Lone Pilgrim. But listen to the words. Ye pilgrims of Zion and chosen of God, whose spirits are filled with dismay, since ye have eternal redemption through His blood, ye cannot but hold on your way. As Jesus in covenant love did engage a fullness of grace to display, the powers of darkness and malice may rage, the righteous shall hold on his way. This truth, like his author, eternal shall stand, though all things in nature decay. Upheld by Jehovah's omnipotent hand, the righteous shall hold on his way. They may on the main of temptation be tossed Their sorrows may swell as the sea, but none of the ransomed shall ever be lost. The righteous shall hold on his way. Surrounded with sorrows, temptations, and cares, this truth with delight we survey and sing as we pass through this valley of tears. The righteous shall hold on his way. I like that song. We don't sing it uh, that often. But it it fully expresses the overall working of God in the heart of His children. Now notice in verse 4 it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Notice, it is the Holy Spirit that is in us. And it is the Holy Spirit 
that is greater than Satan or he that is in the world. Even though God's children overcome, and that doesn't mean that they don't have uh, times of of uh, of sin and things of that nature, but their overall lifestyle is one of overcoming. As we uh, have used David so many times, uh, David committed adultery once, but he didn't. It was his lifestyle wasn't a lifestyle of adultery, and so uh, his whole overall lifestyle was one of, as the scriptures say, a man after God's own heart. David had his sins. David had his shortcomings. But overall, he was a man after God's own heart. And so we need to keep that in mind. And so it is Satan that is the God of this world. He that is in the world. Notice in uh, Second, uh, Second Corinthians. Chapter 4. Talks about in verse 4. Well, let's go back up uh, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. The gospel is hid to people who have not been born again. They don't understand it. They can't comprehend it. They can hear the words. They can put the concepts together. The first, Second uh, Corinthians four three. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto unto them. Satan has a way. You say, well, how does he blind us? Well, I don't know that I can say that and explain that in detail because (coughs) it didn't say how he does it. Obviously, I think that uh, just simply because uh, we're not made alive unto Christ and the gospel and the Word of God, then all we know are the things of the world, and that's, we just love the things of the world. And Satan uh, tempts us with the things of the world, and that's what we follow. In other words, the only thing that a depraved man has that really guides and directs him is himself. And I realize and know that uh, there's all kinds of philosophies and ideologies and teachings and I realize political leaders and 
people in power and even in educational realms have a great influence on the mind and on the uh, individual and their psyche, whatever that is, uh, their will, their emotions, their uh, mind, uh, and uh, whatever else the psychologist tries to divide man up uh, and to uh, categorize him, it's still when it comes down to it, the thing that really influences him is what he wants to do by nature. When one is born again, he has a new spirit in him. That is, as we just read here in John, First John, that's greater. That's greater than that which is in the world. We could say not only is Satan uh, the god of this world, but our own flesh and our own fallen nature is of this world. Those are the things that guide and direct the unregenerate. And notice also what this verse says, or what it doesn't say. It does not say that we are greater than Satan. That is 1 John 4, 4. It doesn't say that we are greater than Satan. It didn't say, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because you are greater than he that is in the world. It's not we that are greater. It's the one that's in us is greater. The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's greater. And yet, at the same time, it's not the Holy Spirit that overcomes. It's we that overcome. We are the ones that overcome. I probably should have said it is us that overcomes. But we are the ones that overcome. In other words, that classic passage of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 come to mind. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that worketh in you to will and to do. And I like to change the reading there because... uh, Sometimes people do not see the full impact 
of an uh, of a infinitive. But by making this infinitive to will and to do adjourn, it seems like that it emphasizes, in my mind at least, you may uh, not have the, the problem, but let's read verse 13 that away. For it is God which worketh in you both willing and doing of His good pleasure. The reason that we not only desire to walk in the Spirit, but the only reason we walk in the Spirit or do the things of God is because it's God working in us. You say, well, how does that all work together? Well, I don't know that I can, and I don't believe, really, I don't think anybody can explain that. I think I used this illustration last Lord's Day, and I'm going to use it again today. Uh, in other words, this in Romans, excuse me, Philippians 12 and 13 is another th- way of just talking about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And I don't think that we men are smart enough to explain that any more than if I take uh, uh, a certain measurement of flour and you probably know where I'm going that heard this last week, but maybe some out there on the Internet haven't heard it. If I take some flour and take some uh, milk, some shortening, salt or some other seasoning, egg, baking powder or baking soda, uh, I don't know enough about cooking to having an exact recipe, but you know where I'm going. Take all of these ingredients to make some biscuits and you mix it all together. Even in this natural illustration, you cannot tell me where the flour stops and the egg begins. Or where the milk starts or the milk and the flour begins. Or ends. In other words, it's all mixed together. You can't have the biscuits without the ingredients. And you can't have the overcoming without man obeying and God working in him at the same time. If God leads us to ourselves, we can do nothing, as John 15 tells us. In other words, without Him, we are nothing. And yet, we can read the Bible, study the Scriptures, pray, 
uh, attend worship, uh, give to the poor. We could do all the things that God would have us to do, and if He doesn't bless it, it's nothing. It's really treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath if it's not uh, blessed of God. And so here we are. He said, Ye are of God, little children, back in 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. We overcome, yet it's God working in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. Beloved, the only reason that you're still serving God is because God has been working in you. Greater. This Greek word greater is mega. That ought to ring a bell to you. You know, you talk about a mega lottery. Big one. Greater. Our word mega uh, in comes from this Greek word mega for greater. Uh, let's look at a few places. Matthew eleven. Give you an idea how this is used. Verse 11. Matthew 11, 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, what's that saying? Talking about John being greater than other prophets, but Jesus Christ, who is least, that is, Jesus Christ, who came later, is greater than John. That's what the least is there, I believe. I don't believe it's saying that uh, I, I, I certainly... Uh, can't stand uh, in the shadow of the footprints of John the Baptist. And I don't believe that's saying that I'm greater than John. I believe it's talking about Christ. Chapter 12, verse 6. But I say unto you that this pla- that in this place is one greater than the temple. There again, it's talking about Christ being greater than the temple that was there in that day. Look at Matthew 18. Verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
same word here. It can be, you can have the uh, superlative d- degree also. Who is the greatest? Verse 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then lastly, note in chapter 23, we see the superlative used again. Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Verse 17, Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. Verse 19, Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. So you see the idea that you might say, well, that's superfluous. We know what greater and less is and so on. But the thing about it, I want to show you that, that the He that is in us, which is the Holy Spirit, that's given to us when we're born of God, is greater, more powerful, more glorious, more righteous, however you want to use and run this uh, word for greater. The Holy Spirit is greater than Satan and he that's in the world. And if you want to say the world is just the world system, or if you want to say the world is just your worldly body, still the Holy Spirit is greater. Is greater. You see, beloved, uh, even even the song that we sang. Well, let me. Uh, uh, The last song that we sang this morning, let me read that one too. Number 290. It's saying the same thing, just with different words. Every time I sing this, I just about think of... uh, Sister Ann Poe, because she used to call on this a lot. But anyway, Come all ye chosen saints of God, whose souls are washed in Jesus' blood. Hear what He says. His Word is true. My grace sufficient is for you. I am your sure almighty friend who loving loves you to the end. I will be near you and will show My grace is sufficient for you. I know how numerous are your foes. I know the ways which they oppose. I know their cunning malice too. My grace sufficient is for you. Though Satan tries your souls to ensnare, you're still the objects of my care. You're near my heart. I will bring you through. My grace sufficient is for you. Do you want proof of this, my love? Calvary survey. 
then heaven above. See how the ransom millions do. My grace is sufficient. My grace is uh, my grace sufficient is for you. I'll guide you safely in your in the way through life's dark night to heaven's bright day. And there with wonder you shall view my grace sufficient is for you. Is that not what the Lord told the Apostle Paul when he uh, went to him three times and asked that the thorn be removed and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. Is that not what God told Israel of old? That when you go through the water, you go through the fire, I'll be with you and bring you through. Is that not what Romans 8 tells us? That we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us? This is what overcoming is all about. This is what perseverance is all about. Yes, we persevere because we are preserved. You know, there's the argument whether it's a perseverance or a preservation. It's both, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, He that is in you, that is God, that is in us and, and by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this briefly. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 20, He said, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Drop down to verse 24. No, I'm reading... Uh, Chapter 2, uh, excuse me, 1 John 3.20. I read uh, 2.20. 3.20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Then verse 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. By the Spirit which He hath given us. The Gospel of John, chapter 14. Verse 20. In that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. In other words, the Holy Spirit, Christ is in us by the Holy Spirit, and says we'll know that. We'll know that. 
Now, much more could be said about all of that, but time does not allow. John 15, 4, Abide in me, and I in you. This is John 15, 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except ye it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. And then it goes on talking about us abiding, abiding in the vine and so on. Turn to Romans 8. Obviously, we could preach two or three sermons on the efficacy of the Holy Spirit. But I'm just trying to, uh, kind of like if you're standing on the bank of a pond and you throw a rock and it skips across the top of the water. I'm just kind of skipping across uh, the top of the subject. Uh, but in Romans 8, beginning verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, you are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. In other words, by the Spirit we mortify the deeds of the body. By the Spirit we overcome, in other words. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And then I'll just quote again that passage that we referred to earlier, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, where we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that works in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. In other words, it's not an either or. It's not either I'm working or God's working, but it's both together. We're working out as God is working in. Or God is working in as we're working out. I don't care how you put it. You say, well, one's more important than the other. No, I, I, I think it's just both going together. Obviously, God has to work first in making us alive, giving us the new birth. 
And as I have said before, I'll say it again, the men have been trying to determine and explain exactly how the Holy Spirit operates on the believer and how it is that the believer uses the Holy Spirit to overcome the world. And this is, like I said, the question of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And I think it's just a great mystery that both are working together. Like I used the the illustration of making biscuits. We know what flour is. We know what an egg is. We know what shortening is. And we know what each individual ingredient is. But when it all comes together, we don't see shortening. We don't see an egg. We don't see flour. We see the results of flour. We see a, we see a biscuit. We see a biscuit. Jerry Bridges used something similar. To, well, he used the same thing to teach a different lesson in his book on uh, well, I just went blank. Uh, anyway, it's a book about suffering. I thought it was a very good book. It was used mightily in my life at one time. But he talked about uh, you know, Eating the flour, that doesn't taste good. Eating the the shortening by itself, that doesn't taste good. Every time I think about eating shortening or, or, or lard, I think about my college days when being initiated into a fraternity, I had to eat a large sandwich. That's not a large sandwich. That's not L-A-R-G-E. That was L-A-R-D sandwich. And it wasn't even between wheat bread. It was between white bread. (laughs) That didn't taste good. The lard by itself. Some people eat raw eggs. Uh, My granddad, after he had his bout with tuberculosis and got over that, uh, ate a, a raw egg and milk every morning, and uh, to for some reason to help anyway. But uh, I never did try it. But those individual things do not taste good. But when it's all together, it does. And Jerry Bridges was using that on Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good to them that love God. But each one of the things in our lives and trials and affliction, they're not good. But when it's all mixed together, uh, God uses it for our good. I thought that was a good illustration. And maybe it was that that prompted me with the illustration with God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. I don't know. But instead of trying to figure out God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, 
or instead of trying to figure out God working in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. I believe that wisdom dictates that we consider this from the side of the responsibility of man. And when we are blessed to succeed, that we give the honor and glory to God. And when we fail, we accept the blame. In other words, instead of saying, well, this is my part, this is God's part, uh, well, like I said, I don't know that we can separate one part from the other, but we can say the reason we overcome is because God blesses us. And when we sin and fall short and fail, it was David's fault for committing adultery and having Uriah killed, it wasn't God's fault. David said, I've sinned. He didn't say, God made me sin. When it says in uh, that Satan moved David to number uh, the uh, uh, to number his army. In in Chronicles it says Satan moved David to number the people. In Kings it says God moved David to number the people. And that's what the Bible says, and I'm not going to explain it away. David said, I have sinned. He said, I have sinned. He said, well, how, how, did God, how did God move David? He let Satan tempt him is all I know. So instead of trying to figure it out, just preach both and leave it in the hands of God. We don't have to explain God. We just need to preach Him. We don't have to defend God. God's big enough to defend Himself. And you say, well, I don't think so. Wait till the day of judgment. Every man's mouth will be shut up then. And regarding the responsibility of man, we, you and me, are to read the Bible. Study the Bible. Know the Bible. And obey the Bible or the Holy Scriptures. Knowing that without the blessings of the Lord, our labors are in vain. In other words, I'm responsible to read. I don't have to wait for God to zap me to read. When it comes time for us to attend the house of the Lord on Sunday morning, we don't have to lay in bed and wait for God to move us, do we? What do we do? We push ourselves out of bed. We push ourselves out of bed. And therefore we see that we have to continue in serving Him.
In addition to this, there are times when the Spirit works upon us and within us so that we walk before the Lord and we cannot even tell how we did it. Look at Romans 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul said, For that which I do, I allow or know not. Paul said, What I do, I don't even know how I do it. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. He said, even if I, either way, the law is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. See, Paul here is wrestling with this issue. I don't know how to do that which is right. But when I do do it, I don't know how I did it. But when I don't do it, it's sin that dwells in me. And when I do do it, it is God that works in me. Same thing which we find in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. There's a warfare going on between the flesh and the Spirit of God. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, Paul is saying there in Galatians 5.17 that because of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells in me, I don't do as bad as I would do if it weren't for the Spirit that's in me. And because there's sin in me, I don't do as good as I would. These are contrary. That warfare goes on. Where does one start and the other stop? We can't say. But he that is in the world, that is Satan. Well, before before we look at that, what the world is and Satan and so on. I'm going to stop here because it would take uh, take up too much time and I'd have to just cut some of this out. But I think it's needful that I uh, cover this somewhat and we'll pick up with that, Lord willing, this afternoon.
We're in a battle, beloved. We're in a battle. But thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God. We shall victoriously be with Him in the end. And overall, as we live out our lives in this world, we continue to follow after Him. You say, well, I know so-and-so. Don't go about with so-and-so. You don't know what's in the heart of so-and-so. I don't know what's in the heart of so-and-so. All we know is by the lifestyle, and we are to make judgment with that. And if there is someone out there that you think uh, that they may have, uh, you know, they've messed up their lives in such a way that you just find it hard to know where they stand before the Lord, you just leave that between them and the Lord and quit trying to figure it out. But when you see an individual that's overcoming and walking in the things of the Lord, give God the play, the credit. And when any one of us falters, we just need to realize and know that's my fault. That's not God's fault. Aren't you glad that the Spirit of God is greater than you are? You know, beloved, I didn't read that part in Romans 8, but that Spirit that dwells in you is going to bring you out of the grave. Now figure that one out. Instead of trying to figure it out, just say hallelujah and give God the praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Bless it to our hearts and continue to work in us to will and to do of Your good pleasure and stir up our hearts to seek after You as we endeavor to stir up our own hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen.